0: Today on Locked on Ducks Hockey, we begin our bye week of shows with special guests and we'll talk briefly about draft picks. Join me on today's Locked on Ducks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a new week. It's the bye week. Hello, everyone. You're locked in with Jason, J.D. Hernandez, your humble host and your journeyman through our week of guests. Yes, this is the bye week for the Anaheim Ducks, and I know there is no hockey to talk about. There is absolutely nothing to talk about as far as the NHL All-Star game because the Ducks don't have any All-Star representatives, so we're going to fill the week with some special guests. Just a reminder, you can hear this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or try looking manually on the Apple or Google Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and you especially want to make sure you're subscribed because we have a special week of shows coming up with several guests. Today, I will be joined by Justin Morissette from Locked on Canucks and Sportsnet 650. Tuesday, that's tomorrow, a special interview with S. Preston, the minimalist artist. And Wednesday will be Locked on Jeopardy! You definitely want to stay tuned for that one. And later on into the weekend and into next week special coverage of the american hockey league all-star game but we'll begin today talking about not so much prospects but possible draft picks look i'm not going to beat around the bush here the ducks are not the best team in the national hockey league i mean it's evidenced in the fact that they have no all-stars next week however they have the fifth worst record in the national hockey league which would put them at a five spot to get that number one overall draft pick in the NHL draft lottery, which takes place in about three months. So I'm not going to count on some ping pong balls or whatever they use to determine a number one pick. And you can't count on the Ducks getting that number one draft pick because let's face it, no one is as bad as the Detroit Red Wings. They might not even get 25 wins this season. That's just putting it out there right now the Red Wings do have by far the best chance at nabbing that one seed. So, if you're Anaheim, think about some other picks that they could get. Don't go after Alexis Lafreniere and put all your hopes on that. Here are some other draft picks, some other top 10 picks that the Ducks could go after. And by the way, on the conversation with Justin Morissette, we talk about the fact that there are some fantastic players that are not even number one. And he alludes to that with the Vancouver Canucks something that they're familiar with. The Canucks have had a few top 10 picks that have panned out nicely for them and has led them to the first spot as of right now in the standings. But we'll talk about that on the interview portion of today's podcast. I want to look at two players that I think could make a splash in the NHL and could make a difference for the Ducks. One of those players I want to talk about is another Swede. Last time I talked about this, I talked about Alexander Holtz being a phenomenal player. Holtz did quite well on the WJCs earlier this month. And in fact, Holtz in some mock drafts has moved all the way up to the number three spot and as low as number five. So maybe the Ducks shouldn't look at that because Alexander Holtz has moved up quite a bit. There's another Swede that I really like. He is only 17 years old as of right now. He turns 18 in about a month or two. His name is Lucas Raymond. Lucas Raymond did play in the WJCs this past year. Uh, In the WJCs, he had two goals, two assists for four points. Great vision across the ice. He's kind of one of those, you know, really skill-type wingers. Um, You know, he does have good, I guess I should say, vision. He has great vision across the ice and great, great hands. His puck handling skills are of the elite quality. But really... He plays a very good two-way game. He was on the power play, not the power play, the penalty kill quite a bit. His forechecking is one of his biggest strengths. His puck stealing is one of his biggest strengths. And really, watching him on the penalty kill on a couple of those games, I noticed that they put him even up as far as the blue line and kind of in that middle spot where he would get between passes And have a very active stick as far as cross-ice passes on the power play. And Lucas Raymond did a tremendous job of neutralizing those cross-ice passes on the PK. And did a great job as far as taking pucks in the neutral zone, which led to some goals for Sweden. The only reason Lucas Raymond didn't get more assists is because his pass will lead to another pass to another pass. And he would just be out of that final pass to get an assist. So while he didn't get more points, he was still very vital in Sweden getting a medal in the WJCs just earlier this month. Uh, His wrist shot is very good. One of his goals was just a ripper of a shot, you know, going right through the hole. He's got a fast shot. He's only 17 years old. He's going to get better. I promise you he's going to get better. Any team that drafts him is going to be very, very lucky to have him. One other player that I really want to look at, he is from the OHL and his name is Cole Perfetti. Cole Perfetti just turned 18 on New Year's Day. So, you know, belated happy birthday to him. But Cole Perfetti, he is playing at the OHL for the Saginaw Spirit. This kid is really blowing up the scene in the OHL. Last year for the Saginaw Spirit, In 63 games, he had 74 points, 37 goals, 37 assists. This year, he's become much more of a playmaker, which I know the Ducks have plenty of those, but he's a very capable goal scorer as well. So far, this season for Saginaw, in 43 games, he has 75 points. He already has more points in less games this year than he did last year, so he's quickly outgrowing the juniors. In the OHL this season, he has twenty-four goals and fifty-one whopping assists. The Saginaw Spirit are doing quite well in the OHL this season. In fact, um, they got some great talent all across their roster. So you know, look no further than Cole Perfetti being a tremendous player. Blade Jenkins, he's great. Damien Giroux, he's a spectacular player for uh, Saginaw. In fact, Damien Giroux, he's their captain. And he's done quite well. He has 48 points himself. As of right now, the Saginaw Spirit are in third place in the OHL. They're only two points back of the first place Kitchener Rangers. And those top three teams are right there in the standings. The Kitchener Rangers, the Windsor Spitfires, and the Saginaw Spirit all right there. One, two, three with a handful of games to go. And they're right there. 60 points, 59 points, 58 points. It is very close between all three of those teams. So you can expect to see Cole Perfetti perform in the playoffs of the OHL as well. Um, last year, 37 goals was a great rookie season for him for the Saginaw Spirit. But then, you know, he followed that up with a tremendous performance for Canada in the Helinka Gretzky tournament. And this season, he's gotten even better than that. You know, he's hitting a lot of posts this year, which explains why he doesn't have as many goals this season. You know, that's going to happen. That's going to be a little bit of puck luck. You're going to try to go for those barred down goals, but instead ends up hitting the post. That happens. Uh, Right now, the goals have begun to pile up little by little, mainly because of that. But he's looking more to find that perfect pass. Trying to be more of a Trevor Zegras type player for the WJCs, where Zegras looked more for the spectacular pass. Same thing is happening to Cole Perfetti, where he's looking for that perfect pass and it is paying off in a big way. Again, having that many assists in that few games, you know, that shows you what kind of player he's turning into. I know the Ducks already have plenty of those type of players, the playmakers. They need goal scorers. Hey, you know what? 24 goals in 23 games is not bad. But having 51 apples in 43 games, you cannot overlook that at all. And a quote from Perfetti talking about guys coming into Saginaw this season and wanting him to be on their line. Yeah, the new guys want Perfetti on their line. And here's what he said. Quote, It was an honor for guys with that talent to come in and say they wanted to play with me. They didn't say it right away, but I earned their trust and proved to them that I could keep up. By the end of the year, we were dominating. They're great guys, and I still keep in touch with them. End quote. You know, he is a very, very special player. He's another player that has a great active stick, does a pretty decent job on defense, more than a decent job on defense. You know, he's a very explosive type player, can get on the ice with great speed. So when you look for players that the Ducks should pick up, you know, Holtz is an option, Raymond is a good option, Perfetti is a fantastic option, and his stock is rising with every game that he plays. So even though Perfetti is that good he might move up in the mock draft so hopefully the ducks can get a high draft pick in order to get someone like a perfetti or raymond or someone with that high of a talent and someone with really that high of a ceiling coming up after the first intermission part one of an interview with justin morissette from locked on canucks stay locked in Welcome back to Locked on Ducks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. You are currently locked in with Jason J.D. Hernandez and a special guest on borrow from Locked on Canucks. And he is Justin Morissette from AM650 Sportsnet Radio. How are you doing, Justin?
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Good to be here. Good to be talking uh, some West Coast hockey.
0: Uh, What else can you tell us about yourself for those that have not listened to Locked on Canucks yet?
1: Uh, I am the studio producer for Vancouver Canucks radio broadcasts on Sportsnet 650, so I follow the team pretty closely for the most part. I uh, have kind of a love-hate relationship with the Canucks in that uh, I think that's natural uh, for fans of any team that's never won a championship in a 50-year history. And, uh, you know, the futility feels endless at times. And uh, you just bash your head against the wall being a fan against this te- <laughs> of this team. But then there are other times where everything's going great. And, uh, you know, the, the, it looks like nothing but blue skies, uh, smooth sailing for years and years to come. Those moments are few and far between. Um, but I think that's kind of part of the fun of the season is kind of that up and down roller coaster experience of Constantly questioning whether this team is good or bad, and it's been a hard read this season. I think because a lot of the Pacific Division in general has not been particularly good overall. So a team like the Canucks can be in first place heading into the All Star break, despite the fact that you know they they have not been particularly good at times. I don't you know, know did- if
0: I don't know if all teams are equally bad or equally good because there are good teams, then there are worse teams. The three teams in California. Ugh.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is, which is a big surprise, though, right? Like San Jose is supposed to be ahead of the Canucks right now. They're, They're supposed, not to be. supposed to be. The the bottom feeder that we are witnessing at the moment, and I don't understand how uh, the, the rug could just come out from under that team as bad as it has. How uh, Eric Carlson has not really been as advertised this season. Yes, they lost some players up front. They lost Pavelski, who I would not have retained if I were them. I thought that was the right move, but perhaps... Jonas Donskoy is just like the linchpin that was holding everything together and we never credited him that way because that team has just completely deflated it feels like and I, and it's baffling to
0: me. Well they got off to such a slow start because they had that four five game losing streak when Evander Kane was suspended for that little fracas at right. Vegas early in the season and I would say that ultimately cost them a few games because I feel like that team is a little bit different with. Out Evander Kane, and it showed on the first two weeks of the season. So getting off to that horrible start didn't help them certainly, and it didn't help Pete DeBoer's case. <laughs> yeah, let's get yeah. right into that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pete DeBoer now uh, finds himself back uh, in, in behind the bench. But now for his previous team's biggest rival, he's just jumped right across and is now coaching the Vegas Golden Knights, which uh, it feels uh-huh. bad as well. That's another insane thing. Why would the Vegas Golden Knights feel compelled to fire Gerard Gallant? It makes no sense. I feel to the me. same way. Gerard Gallant
0: did a fantastic job with the Vegas Golden Knights. Led them to the cup final in their first season, had a great playoff up until the five minutes, but we won't get get into that.
1: If he had not, you know, run into that five-minute major, like, the Golden Knights are off to a second straight cup final appearance, most likely. You know, I think it's fair to say, perhaps. Some people might disagree with that. But, like... That's the kind of team that they had. Yes, they have underperformed this season. That's, to me, like, the funniest thing from a Canucks perspective is that there are there are true believers in this city that want to think that, like, Vancouver is just, like, this dominant powerhouse now, despite the fact they play, like, garbage in roughly half of their games. <laughs> the other half, they look great. Yes, I do agree. But, you know, the, maybe the team is somewhere in the middle and not – you can't omit half the results to make your case. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Like the, the, the most compelling thing for me about that is like, how good can the Canucks be if the Vegas Golden Knights just impulsively made the decision to fire their coach?
0: They were not bad. Gallant, Gallant had a 118-75-20 record. You win 60% of your games and okay, you get fired for quote, performance issues, end quote, which I think is ridiculous because when you lead your team that well into the cup playoffs... You're doing a good job. You're an expansion team. Yes, they have the Corsi King and Jonathan Marchessault, but really you have to look at the sum of all equal parts. You know, Flurry had been hurt at times. They still have
1: a good team. Yeah, they. Should. Yeah, absolutely. They have two first lines. That's You can't... <laughs> Most teams would kill anything. for that. All that happened to them is that their goaltending went through a rough spell. Like, that's it. It was two weeks of just kind of... Uh, less than stellar stellar results from Marc-Andre Fleury and Malcolm Subban. That's it. And that's what got Gerard Glant fired ultimately was two weeks of bad goaltending. So it's a it's a fickle league. But that seems to be the way it is this season is that teams are just willing to pull the plug on their on their coach uh, in, a, in a hurry and not just, you know, because of off ice behavior that we have seen that several times, too. It just feels like. Teams are a little trigger happy this season, and coaches. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll say yeah. Coaches are an easy position to scapegoat.
0: Yeah, they're this. He's the seventh coach fired this season. I don't know if you're aware, there have been eighteen coaches fired in the past two seasons in the National Hockey League. Eighteen. Yeah. Which I think is ridiculous, <laughs> which attributes to the fact that you say the trigger happy.
1: Uh, Look, no, some of those firings are merited, though. I I was very much a proponent of the Nashville Predators moving on from Peter Laviolette. But that is a team that has been extremely patient with coaches. Peter Laviolette was only the second coach in franchise history. So, you know, that's, a, I think, an excusable move on the part of the Preds. There are some other moves, however, the Gallant one in particular. And heck, even even if we look back to DeBoer getting fired from San Jose in the first yes. place. yes. It is clear that Pete DeBoer was not the problem with the San Jose Sharks. It's not like they've just lit the world on fire since he's been gone. Much the same with the LA Kings. You know, people were blaming the previous
0: year's coaches for the LA Kings being terrible. No, the Kings are terrible. I'm just going to be honest. They have a bunch of aging veterans that can't get anywhere and guys that are getting completely lost. And because I'm in Southern California, I see this in person. I see players getting messed up. By Tom McClellan being sent down to Ontario and doing even worse because McClellan messed them up.
1: I mean, look no further than what's happening with Ilya Kovalchuk over the last oh. couple of years. like that. That never made any sense to me. How are like it, it's the same thing with like uh, Travis Green when the Canucks were awful, having no time of day for a player like Nikolay Dobin or you know a guy who plays an offensive style who might have some defensive deficiencies. And Ilya Kovalchuk is miles and miles beyond Nikolai Leigoldoven in terms of what he can do offensively. In my opinion, Ilya Kovalchuk is one of like the great players of the last two decades. If he's I used think, properly. Yeah, he's an, he is incredible. And obviously he's not what he was as a young man anymore, but he still has hands. He still has an unbelievable scoring touch you should be if you're the last place LA Kings are you know circling the drain certainly you should have all the time in the world for a guy who who has that one skill that you need but is perhaps lacking in other areas if you can't score and you have Ilya Kovalchuk sitting in your press box what the hell is going on there
0: i mean they're circling the drain but it's going to be like that for years at this point the LA Kings are completely embracing team tank and going for Alexis Lefrenier which I can't partially blame them for because LeFernier is a talented player. He's He could be a generational talent, according to some scouts. I don't know if I agree with that. But if you can get a game changer like like that in the draft, why not, I guess, tank a little bit? And I still don't believe in tanking personally. I think it's a joke because you are not guaranteed that first pick One And two, the Kings are doing bad, but there's no way they're going to be worse than Detroit... There's no way they'll be worse than Ottawa. They're not going to get worse records than them.
1: Here's my thing, though, is that, first of all, (laughs) this is a conversation that's happened a lot in Vancouver over the last little while as far as uh, just playing out the string versus actively trying to tank. And the players are never going to lose on purpose. I don't think that's what fans are asking for either when you talk about a team that's tanking. Uh, management can make some decisions to, uh, you know, intentionally make the team worse and try to cripple them at the knees or what have you. But I think it's just a mindset thing as well is that like, as a fan, you have the right to be okay mentally. If the team loses a ton, you know, it's just, it doesn't affect you because you can see the prize at the end, from all that losing. That doesn't mean that the team itself is going out there to lose on a night-to-night basis. It's just being accepting of the fact that they're not good enough to win. And, yes, you're right. You're, the lottery's not going to play out in your favor, probably. But you are limiting how much it can play against you as well. It's, exactly. Because, because, like, even if you are, uh, you know, even if three teams move past you because they all win the lottery, you're still only... Falling three spots, you're still picking somewhere relatively high. I I mean, look no further than Vancouver. The Canucks have never picked first overall in their entire 50-year existence. The the lottery has never gone their way. And in the last couple of years, especially when it has worked against them and they've fallen two or three spots, they've wound up picking the two best players that they've ever picked. There you go. it's history. Elias Petterson was a fifth overall pick. Quinn Hughes was a seventh overall pick. I've got faith that Vasily Colson, the player they took this most recent draft, is going to be a hell of a player for them down the line. That's a tenth overall pick. And, like, what really matters is the way the draft breaks in front of you. It doesn't necessarily matter exactly where you're picking because – all of these guys got passed over for one reason or another. Teams didn't believe they were big enough, so on, et cetera. You can't control uh, the the draft lottery and the way the balls are going to fall. You can't control what you do when it's your turn. And you would want your team to have the best possible drafting position possible, which whether that's fifth or third or first is not going to come by wanting to see them win relatively meaningless games. But in there's March. no
0: way I would ever count on the lottery because, you know, the Ducks, they right now have the fifth worst record in the National Hockey League. Yes, it's been 10 minutes finally talking about the Anaheim Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a Ducks show. They're fifth worst overall, and that's why I haven't looked at Lafreniere as a possible draft pick. You know, when I've talked about this in the recent past, players that I've mentioned, one that I liked was Alexander Holtz. From Sweden, who I think is a great talent. That's a reasonable ask for a number six, seven, eight pick. You know, players like that, you have to think about, like the Vancouver Canucks. As you said, they got some very talented players. They are still top 10 picks, but they are arguably more talented than the players that were chosen in front of them. And I think Vancouver's done a great job with scouting, and that's propelled them to the top of the Pacific division. For what it's worth, the top of the Pacific. It's tighter—you know, I'll say how tight it is. It is tighter than a Serena Williams jumpsuit. That's how tight it
1: is. (laughs) The weird thing, too, about San Jose—not to jump off the ducks because this does pertain to them— is that, like, if they had made the commitment to keep Pavelski and keep that whole aging core together— I mean, look no further than Los Angeles. Look no further than Anaheim for that being the wrong move trying to keep these cores together well after they fall out of their primes, right? I mean, Anaheim is a crazy example because not only are you, were you committed to your own aging core, you somehow, like, absorbed Vancouver's from the glory days of 2011 as well in taking on, you know, Ryan Kessler and, and Kevin Bieksa when you did. So, yeah. like— Those guys, that old group is not going to lead you to success. San Jose seemingly let go of those guys and still have fallen uh, this precipitously. Sometimes there's just no right move, I guess, in, uh, in today's NHL, it seems.
0: We've been talking for a while and we never talked about the fact that this race is really close. So I want to get your take on this extremely close Pacific Division race because you have the Canucks that are in first place. Then you have Edmonton, Calgary, Vegas, and Arizona, all tied in points going into the All-Star break. And I got to ask, of the other four teams, who do you see as the biggest threat to the Vancouver Canucks?
1: Ooh, Ooh that is tough. I mean, Vegas has got to be the the biggest underachiever, right? So ultimately, they should have the highest upswing back the other way. Really, distract- Even with Pete DeBoer? <laughs> you know, that, that roster is talented. That roster is, they, like I said, they have two first lines and they have, a, a, you know, not as stacked of a decor as they had in years previous, but it's still pretty darn good. That is a team that has depth. Uh, they they should be much better than they are. You know, I, I joked earlier, but it's not really a joke. They fired their coach because they're worse than the Canucks. That shouldn't be possible. Yeah. Um, which I think goes to show like how good the Canucks really are. I like I never really believed in the Oilers when they were charging out even early in the season. I kind of had a feeling the wheels would fall off that because it always does. Uh, McDavid playing 25, 26 minutes a night, whatever it is, like is not sustainable. You can never, no player can do that. Not even Connor McDavid. You know, you cannot play a guy <laughs> that much and just have no support the entire way along it's it never works so i wasn't scared about that but the sharks of uh you know the, i thought they would be in the mix they're well out of it the flames i don't know what to make of the flames the flames seem like a very similar team to the canucks to me so maybe i am scared of them a little bit and that they uh are right there in the mix but when i say similar to the canucks that means they also have a ton of flaws because the canucks are also very flawed so. i think the
0: flames are more flawed than vancouver personally you know the- well, I don't, i'm glad to hear you say that <laughs> Watching Flames games, they just have long stretches where they cannot score with a damn. (laughs) Yeah. That's where they have Uh, their issues. You know, power play is an issue for them. Um, Breakaways are an issue for them. They just cannot decide on whether they want to pass or play or whatever.
1: You know, Arizona seems like they can go on a real run here, though, too. Like, I, I guess if I have to pick one team that I'm most afraid of. Uh, to really run away with things in the Pacific, it would be Vegas. I just think they're too talented not to figure it out. But beyond them, it's probably the Coyotes.
0: You only mentioned that this name once in the last little bit we've talked is Connor McDavid, and we have not mentioned Leon Dreisaitl. How about that top line in Edmonton?
1: I mean, I mean, it's 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 ridiculous, right? It's like it's like what what Yermiyahger used to do when he was. Uh, I think in, in the, with the Rangers and, and then a little bit before that too with the Capitals where the guy was like the only player in the league scoring at a rate far beyond everyone else. Um, Like you look at what they are doing at the midway point of the season and it just makes no sense relative to everybody else. But I guess it does make sense in that they're two of the best players in the world <laughs> and they are feeding the puck to each other and they're playing you know, 22, 23, 24 minutes a night. So... Uh, you're going to get numbers when you're the only guy on your team who can score, I guess yeah. um, that's nothing to take. That that's, doesn't take anything away from the quality of them as players. But I think on other teams, they wouldn't be playing as much. If that makes sense. Like that does make you sense. Just, yeah. You, you shouldn't be playing them as much as they're playing right now. Anyways, that's why their team is falling off right now. So
0: yeah, people are discounting the coyotes right now because they're so good. As far as defense goes, they're not scoring a ton. They don't have a lot of marquee players, but I think, Arizona has one of the best defenses in the entire league and some of the and best They have structure. They have like structure.
1: Yeah, the 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 Oilers sort of have had a bit more structure under Tippett than they had in the past cuz previously that Just seemed like it was, you know, pass the puck to McDavid and he'll do whatever he wants with it, Um, which is sort of what they are now still. Uh, But there are times like even early in the season, it was very noticeable to me that McDavid was really watching when he would jump up and and was staying back. And the team was playing very conservative. It's just like, where does that come from? That's the same system that the Coyotes have been playing all along. So this is a new process for the Oilers to try and learn this thing. This has been all that these Coyotes players have ever known, basically, exactly, is playing yeah. this same uh, structural uh, formation, and they do—they're—they're do, they're doing great with it. Yeah, Rick, uh, Rick Tockett has done a
0: fantastic us. job in Arizona, by the way. I think he's—he might be a dark horse for Coach of the Year in Arizona right now. Might be.
1: And and they still—they finally have offensive punch up front. Like it's not. You know, Michael Grabner being asked to carry the load, though. I'm a big fan of Michael Grabner, so don't uh, take that as a slight either.
0: (laughs) I have to laugh at that one for a second.
1: I do like him. Former Canucks first round pick. Wish things had worked out here.
0: If only that would have worked. Then maybe, well, you know, I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just maybe something good would happen to the Canucks.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe. If Eric could. No, not Eric could Branson. If Michael Grabner had still been on the team in 2011, maybe we wouldn't have had to play Jeff Tambellini in the top six of game seven of the Stanley Cup final. So who knows? Mm. Who knows what would have happened?
0: I watched that one at home and I was going for Vancouver at the time and was disappointed to see that. You know what? I'm not going to talk about that. I don't want to upset you.
1: (laughs) No, it's fine. You know what? Some wounds never heal, but. What can you do? You got to laugh and move on.
0: Once again, a huge thank you to Justin Morris for coming on today's Locked on Ducks podcast. You can follow him at Justin Morris, which is Justin M-O-R-I-S. And you can follow him if you're in Canada at Sportsnet 650. He's the Wrestle Central host and we'll have him more later on this week. We'll have more of that interview coming on either Thursday or Friday. I'm not sure yet, but you can follow him at Locked on Canucks. So be sure to check out Locked on Canucks. Pretty fun, and it's going to be fun to watch the rest of the season to see how the Canucks do you know, in that very tight Pacific Division race. I really want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe if you have not already, and you can hear this podcast or previous episodes on the Locked on Podcast Network via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Or you can chat hockey with me either on Twitter. You can follow me at J D, follow the show at LO underscore Ducks, or if you want to ask a question. I'm going to really stress during the week, ask some mailbag questions either on Twitter or email me at LockedOnAnaheimDucks at gmail.com. Tomorrow, we're going to have a special guest, S. Preston, from Minimalist Ballpark Artists, and he has an art gallery in Anaheim, Only a couple of miles from the Ponda. He does hockey art. It's going to be a full interview show with S. Preston. Once again, that is coming up tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. And on Wednesday, our latest installment of Locked on Jeopardy. So really, stay locked in to Locked on Ducks. And I'm Jason J.D. Hernandez saying have a great rest of the week. Enjoy the holiday. And Ducks... Fly together, Anaheim.